the Wi-Fi call kind of adds sort of like this uh, this guest expert like feeling to your audio. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like, oh. <laughs> like, like like you're too busy on the other side of the planet uh, oh, yeah, researching exactly. Avatar that you need to <laughs> you, you need to phone in because you can't physically be here in person. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, it's like a like a TED talk, like yeah, in your home office. Yeah, like you're using a satellite phone from the Amazon jungle to like call in and from be like, the field. "Yeah, you're from the field." <laughs> the field reporter. You're you're in the Nickelodeon warehouse, just sneaking in. <laughs> friends at Fangamer, and this is the podcast where you get to hang out with weirdos who work at a video game merchandising company. I'm your host, Charlie, and I'm joined today by Sarah, Jack, and Carolyn. Say hello. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Knew that was going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, today is our very first EXP Share episode where we all experience the same thing and then gather together to talk about it. We're con- kicking off this series with Avatar The Last Airbender. Why Avatar? Well, basically, it's because this show came back to Netflix, and I wanted to watch it again and talk about it. So I used that as a motivation to get back to recording the podcast, and that's really most of it. Uh, Anyway, in today's episode, we'll be talking about only the first season of the show, Book One, Air. We're going to avoid talking about anything beyond this season in case listeners are watching along at home and haven't seen the rest of the show yet, and also because at least one of us here on the show has not seen the rest of the show yet. We'll be covering the rest of the show in upcoming episodes. So, on that note, I I want to start us off by talking about our history with the show, but first... We have a new guest who hasn't been on the show before. Uh, Carolyn, quick, who are you and what are you doing here? Hello, I'm Carolyn. I am Sarah's roommate and I'm very passionate about Avatar. So I was invited to be a cameo in the Avatar episode. (laughs) Perfect. All right, uh, let's get started. So... Avatar The Last Airbender first aired in 2005. Now, I'm curious, from each of you, when did you first watch it, and what were your impressions before you ever watched the show? This is is really integral to why Carolyn is here, because she has been pushing me to watch this show for some time, and it was only until we started living together where I could not escape it. But (laughs) that's not to say that I didn't have my own agency in this, so... (laughs) I knew about this show when it first aired just through my friends talking about it and kind of like obsessing over um, the show. But I I can't really explain why I didn't get to it until now, which is like years later. But I'm really glad that I did because I see, I I mean, I've only finished the first season, but I really like how it's, um, I don't know, I think there's a lot of really good themes in the show and I can talk about that later, but I'm just saying... (laughs) Glad I got on board. So, so Carolyn, you're you're the one who really pressured Sarah to do this, even before I started trying to find people to join me on this podcast. So, Carolyn, when did you first watch it, and what prompted you to do so? So, I actually watched it live when it first came out, when I was like, I don't know how, I was like 10 or something. I was like the target audience for it. When it was out <laughs> on Nickelodeon, and I remember watching it with my sister, who is probably also equally as obsessed as I am. But then I remember in college a few years ago, a friend of mine was rewatching it and I decided to rewatch it. And 
that's when I was like, oh, wait, this is truly amazing. <laughs> and I think it has wonderful themes. I think it's a kid's show that is actually written for adults in many ways. And it is a pretty fundamental reason. It, it really helps me also learn how to draw and draw characters. So I have a very strong connection to it. Cool. And uh, Jack, I, I know that you, this is you. You just started watching this like four or five days ago because I kept asking you to. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Well, you weren't asking me to. I I want. I I really love being on the show, and I wanted to. I the exp shares sounded really really neat. Like I kind of uh, wish I had been part of sort of the old podcast, like playing games together and uh, listening in. So. I kind of wanted to start making up for lost time. And so I want to hop in as early as possible. But yes, I, have, I had never seen Avatar before. I grew up without cable. The WB and Fox was basically my only place for cartoons growing up. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I was aware of Avatar. I heard you know many, many accolades about it. I knew it was a very good show. However, I just didn't really have a means to watch it. And when you say a show is good, you know, you hear that from a lot of people about a lot of things. Uh, Avatar is one thing I do kind of remember subconsciously uh, noticing uh, just through osmosis collecting, you know, pop culture that I would see similar characters. Like I'd see a character, like I think now I recognize them as Katara. And I think I would see them later on in the show. And I mean, correct. I, like I said, we're not going to talk about the future of it. I mean, I haven't seen any of it. So, but I think I would see characters that it looks like they age or mature. You know, they develop in a way. And mm -hmm. I, I'd be able to recognize that and kind of see this as a show that isn't your typical cartoon where it's just the characters wear the same clothes every day and every episode mm -hmm. ends with things exactly where it started at the beginning of the episode. Like this is a show that has a story that grows and develops. I don't know. So yeah, from a outsider's perspective, I I had faith that it was a good show, but I never actually put the time in to watch it until, like Charlie said, this week. <laughs> I finished watching season one three hours ago. Wow. <laughs> Down to the water. So it's uh, fresh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I I first watched an episode of the show about ten years ago, and didn't really sit down to watch the whole thing until a couple a couple of years later. It was just sort of a thing that I saw while I was staying at a friend's place, and I honestly was pretty hesitant about it. Uh, it was like it was it seemed like it was just trying to look like a Japanese anime, and I didn't think they really nailed the look very well. And it was from Nickelodeon, a channel I hadn't really watched since like the days of Rugrats and Doug and. Uh, Rocco's Modern Life, and uh, what I enjoyed all those things at the time, but they're, they're a bunch of goofy cartoons, and that's all I really expected from Nickelodeon. Mm -hmm. um, and the parts that people tended to share from, like, whenever I uh, see people talking about it on the internet or whatever, it was always just the goofy stuff from the show. Like, it wasn't anything oh, more. That's what people would share with you? Yeah, pretty much. So, okay. Uh, so yeah, I, I had no reason to think the show had anything more going for it. And it wasn't until I actually watched like an actual episode that I, you know, actually began to consider the show uh, any more seriously than that. Uh, and by that mm -hmm. time, I was already, you know, in my mid-twenties. So, <laughs> mm -hmm. but and the fact that I, I got so into it, despite not really being the target audience, I think says a lot about the show. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's a lot to talk about for even just this first season. And I don't think we'll really have time to unpack every single episode individually, although that'd be really cool. I would want to spend some time talking about the very first episode a bit, because um, the very first episode of a TV show has 
to do a lot of like heavy lifting. And and here mm-hmm. we have this fantasy setting with with uncommon cultural inspirations. There's this global conflict, this whole new magic system, a bunch of weird animals all over the place, and this huge cast of characters. So were you pulled in in the first episode? And if so, can you point to anything in particular that did so? Mm. Uh, let's let's, let's go back. And re- let's go in reverse order. Let's start with Jack this time. Okay. Um. Oh boy. Um, you brought up some some things to talk about how people kind of showed you the goofy things first. Uh-huh. Um, I say uh, the goofy stuff is, yeah, definitely my biggest turnoff from the show. Like, I don't know too much about the production, like the history of it, like how the show got made. But I, I feel like having watched the first season, I can say the character design, the world building, the action scene choreography, all that stuff I just I fell in love with instantly. It was just really hard, like you said, kind of watching this Nickelodeon show just kind of imitate anime which i think was kind of when the show first came out i mean i'm i haven't fact checked this or anything but i imagine that's probably around the same time that like toonami was a big thing on the cartoon network Mm -hmm. and i feel like everyone was just trying to hop on that you know japanese anime train the kids love it you know people like whenever someone says something ridiculous a character's jaw will drop or they'll fall sideways you know and um just i feel like um one piece of humor that i noticed uh that the show really like like it was very much felt like a crutch for the show early on. And even kind of later on, uh, I felt like, but was the whole, the formula of someone will say something and then something will immediately happen to contradict it, to, <laughs> like make the character look stupid. And um, uh, that's one of the things about the, uh, the brother is um, uh, oh, let's see if I can remember his name. Sokka. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I keep calling him Sokko and <laughs> that's wrong. Uh, so Sokka, I think he, he obviously comes into his own. I think every character comes into their own a bit. Uh, I got to stick to the first season episode here, but I feel like his whole role early on in the show and even much later is to basically enable people to shine. Like he is there to rise other people up. The very first thing he does is basically tell his sister, shut up and sit in this boat. I'm going to fish because I'm the man. And immediately his sister picks up a fish using magic. And then they meet Aang and he's basically like, whatever little kid i'm not gonna listen to you you're a weak little kid and then ang's like oh yeah time for me to show my powers and i i think that's kind of it just seemed very formulaic and yeah i'll say the first episode did not hook me uh i could sense that there was something underneath but again if i was just browsing through channels and uh the first episode came on tv and i watched it i would probably not look into it much further than that all right sarah or actually, uh, Carolyn, if we're going in reverse order. I think uh, I think a lot of things, but one just to bounce off Jack and the idea of Sokka, I actually really enjoy the Sokka and Katara dynamic because I think of the dynamic we don't, a brother-sister dynamic is not one that I see often in television. Mm-hmm. Um, and I definitely agree with you. I'd never thought of Sokka's sort of early role as being the one to like help others shine but i think what strikes me about the first episode is that it does set the stage for so many character arcs that one of the best parts of the show in my opinion is how the character arcs do develop and i can see how the first episode really sets the stage for that like Sokka wants to be a man he wants to be a warrior and he doesn't quite know what that is yet because he doesn't have somebody to teach him and it sets the stage for Katara and Katara's goals so early on and then I think the first time you see Zuko 
just immediately this extremely complicated character mm-hmm. and you're not quite sure what he's doing there and you're not quite sure what this like weird 16 year old kid who's super angsty and just setting up these dynamics super early and I think it's hard for me to say if I was immediately hooked or not because it was so long ago that I fell in love with the show that I don't remember like my immediate draws but <laughs> whenever you're 10 years old uh, like yeah. it doesn't it's not it's not too super important that anything hook you with a single episode because <laughs> yeah. you, you're, you're content to yeah. just be watching tv <laughs> <laughs> yeah but what i can really appreciate about it now having watched it again is that they set up those dynamics nice and early and those dynamics will hold and develop throughout the entire show mm-hmm yeah, like looking back on it retrospectively, it's very clear that they had a very big picture view of everything when, right when yeah. they started. Most definitely. Yeah, and setting up Sokka as a butt monkey from the beginning, just it was just kind of necessary for A, as you were saying, Carolyn, like he didn't really know what being a man, whatever that means, he didn't really have a clear idea of what that was. What He, he didn't even know what... It should be for him yet, mm-hmm. other than like I don't know, putting women in their place for some reason. Like if, <laughs> if you're if your only experience with men is that briefly, and then they're gone, and you're the only man left, like what does that mean to you? And you know, that's you can't really expect anybody to be reading that far into it in the in the first episode, of course. But like looking back on it, it's kind of uh, it, it seems pretty profound. But the, the show has no truck with that sort of view, and immediately like knocks all of that down while other people have definitely have some personalities to, to develop over time a lot of what they have to do is they have more of a spiritual spiritual journey to take over the course of this show mm. and also like a, they have to develop like techniques and all that stuff Sokka doesn't have that he has to go with a almost entirely a, a personality development over the course of the show because otherwise what is he doing there yeah, exactly. He's well, fundamentally flawed from the start. I, I don't know if I agree with that, because when I think sure. of Sokka, I think of... So, in a lot of ways, Sokka plays as comic relief. But in in a way that a lot of comic relief plays in other shows, it's sort of just this stupid trope of, like, it's the stupid one who's the comic relief or saying stupid things. But Sokka's actually quite intelligent, and that's what sure, she brings yeah. to the table. And I think this is one of Sokka's conflicts, right? He, he's not a bender, but, and I think you see it in season one, he grows into his own based on other skills and talent. And you really see Sokka challenged in his personality and in his views that need to be changed because the only woman he really interacts with is Katara for a really long time. <laughs> but he has a lot of talent, so he's not just comic relief. Of course, uh, especially uh, yeah, as the as the season goes on, like his uh, his cynical nature and his calculating and his inventiveness all get time to actually shine, and sometimes it's shown as being just silly in the face of this magic system that seems to control this world. But other times, it's shown that no, actually, he's he's right. And he's not just the butt monkey all the time. Sometimes people should be paying attention to what he's saying. Yeah. I see that sometimes he's like vital to pushing the group forward. He's like 
at the center kind of calling the shots as well. But that that speaks directly to like, I don't know, when I <laughs> when I think of like the first episode, the first thing I think about, and I'll play off of what Carolyn and Jack were talking about, is how we get to see what is like a arguably like very young group of like children assert themselves in very knowing ways. And I think that was very relatable to me because like as like a kid, you you take yourself very seriously, but it's almost in a way where you're like having to prove yourself. Yeah, yeah. So it was like people really like pushing and asserting themselves in ways that was for themselves and not very sensitive to like either the situation or like other people's like sensibilities. So that was kind of fun to see the sister and brother dynamic between Katara and Sokka play out. I'll also say that I think there was a lot of good mystery built into the first episode as well, because we're like coming across a lot of questions of like, who is the, who is this boy trapped in this rock and everything? And like, what is even an avatar? So I think that that other worldly quality of mystery was what hooked me more than anything is trying to know the power that Aang held. I think I was like really curious from the get-go about. Yeah, sure. that is really important for a first episode to do. Like they don't want to just put everything on a platter for you. Mm-hmm. This is going to kind of sum off the first episode, but just in the way that they deliver information throughout the first season of Aang's path and Zuko's path and just everybody's connection to how how they got to be where they are today, I think adds to that mystery throughout. So yeah, uh, beyond even just the magic of the world, because you get on board with that pretty soon, but then it becomes about the characters' mysteries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so we've talked about our first impressions of Sokka a good bit now, but I- I'm interested in kind of getting an idea of what your first impressions were of some of the other major characters, like... Uh, uh, what was your first impressions of, of Aang and Katara and Zuko and Iroh? I didn't like Aang. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think it was just because I think uh, Aang really just kind of embodied a lot of the, the sort of cheap humor I didn't like about the show. Like the first time he appears, it's sort of like, the, you know, this biggest, the biggest mystery and kind of the pivotal point of the show. And the first thing he does is in this very childish way, just, I need to tell you something or ask you something, come closer will you go penguin sledding with me? It's just sort of like, ugh, this, uh, <laughs> this child. So, um, which I mean, I guess I, I could totally see, you know, being, you know, 10 years old being like, oh, I wish I was friends with Aang. Although me being 34 now, it's just kind of like, oh, I'd hate to have to look after Aang. So it's uh, <laughs> definitely coming at, it, yeah. coming at it from like a totally different angle here. But for sure, yeah, he definitely represented like the, the, cartoonishness that kind of made me uh, hesitant to get into the series at the beginning as well. Uh, yes. Because he starts off very much as this cartoon character. Although he, by the end of, especially the second episode, like that, that's more or less over. He's still cartoony sometimes afterwards, but like mm-hmm. you realize, uh, I think by the end of the second episode that, that, that there's a lot more to this than, than that. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm gonna. Of course, we're still talking about the first episode here, so exactly. <laughs> I'm jumping yeah, the gun. I'm gonna, have a, 
I'm going to put a little disclaimer in front of a lot of things I'm going to say here. I'm worried I'm probably going to be bringing a lot of um, cynicism, I guess, kind of uh, with me on this outtake. I mean, I really did enjoy the show. So I want to put that out there that I, I did enjoy it. I do intend on, you know, Ace Pichier or not, I am definitely planning on going back and watching the rest of the show. I feel like there's, with everything I'll say that turned me away from the show or something that I didn't like, there's tenfold more things positive to sort of undo it. So I want to make it clear, I'm not trying to shoot down the show or like stomp on it or anything, but like I just try to bring out some criticism there just to sort of spark hopefully some some of the better things that you know counteract all those. For sure. And I'd say actually, it's a pretty common take actually that the big, very beginning of this show has a bit of a rough start because of all the reasons that we were talking about, I think. It's hard to say necessarily from these first few episodes that it's going to become what it does become later on. Mm -hmm. And I would not, I know that some people would actually say there was actually like this, uh, this article uh, that came out whenever the, um, uh, whenever it came back to Netflix from like Vox or something. I don't remember. Uh, Anyway, that was basically like, Hey, don't start with the first episode. Start with this later one from season two. So that you you can realize that it's a, that, that it's a good show or something. It's like, no, no, you start at the beginning. Start at the beginning. For goodness sakes. Yeah. Yeah. It it might not necessarily be everybody's cup of tea right from the get go, but by the, by the end of the second episode, for sure. Like, you're gonna to want to keep going. It's fine. Yeah, and also I think that's a I think that's a great thing about EXP show, right? It's such a good topic for it is because again, if I was just on my own and just thinking like if I watched the first episode, I'd be like, this isn't how I want to spend my time, and I would just move on to something else. Whereas knowing that I'd be able to talk about it with friends later, that encouraged me to keep going. And like I said, now it's kind of like an engine. I'm primed. Like I don't need any more motivation. I'm hooked now. So. Mm-hmm. And it's only gonna get better. <laughs> uh, I can't, can't wait. But like, all right. So, so while I, I would say that while I can definitely understand being a little hesitant about Aang in, in the first episode, mm-hmm. hesitant about Sokka for sure. Katara, yeah. she there isn't enough to really go on there yet. So who knows? Yeah, but she's just pleasant. I think she was just all around pleasant. <laughs> like she's uh-huh. just a likable character. <laughs> which which is which is a dangerous trope for girls to get into. If that would be all that she was, luckily she also develops. Mm-hmm. Zuko, angry teen, okay, uh, but yeah. Iroh though, Iroh, I, 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 he, I'm a sucker <laughs> for that. Uh, even though it is, uh, it does seem very tropey from the beginning. Like, you know, why is old man? Yeah. Sure, okay, but I also love that trope, so I was down <laughs> for him from from moment one. I would say. Yeah, same. I think he was probably my favorite character by the end of the show or for end of the first episode. I would probably agree with that because he's wise old man who also his dynamic with Zuko is just so clearly just doesn't actually not doesn't actually care because he cares a lot. But it, it comes across that he's just like making his nephew's life harder because he's doing all these, <laughs> like his ridiculous jokes and notions about, you know, like tea and treats and all of those things just like riles Zuko up. Mm-hmm. So I I think dynamic plays so well from yeah. from the first. Zuko seems like he like from the get go he has his own agenda going on, right? And you see Iroh kind of on the sidelines in in reference to that. But it's interesting to me because 
as his uncle, I assumed that he would take on more of like an authoritative figure or I like just anyone who's older than you and is family in your life, kind of like, what is your relationship with them? And it wasn't an authoritative figure. It wasn't, it didn't even seem to be like a, a friendship either yeah, in any like, way. It seems like a sidekick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just yeah. he's he's kind of just on the sidelines watching and then I, I don't know, he just seemed like he has his own agenda too, you know? Mm-hmm. So we've been on this first episode for a while. I want to end the this section with just noting that the first episode was very impressive to me in hindsight. Like having mm-hmm. watched it again, uh, it's very impressive to me, regardless of my feelings on it the first time I watched it. Because, I mean, just from a story structure and planning point of view, like, in a very short amount of time, without feeling rushed, we learn the gist of this overarching conflict. Uh, mm-hmm. We get the basic idea of the world's magic system. We're introduced to several major characters. And in record time, we get a good impression of their personalities, their interests, and their relationships with one another. Uh, we're also quickly shown just how inexperienced these characters are, especially the the main three. And even because even Aang, who's very like skilled at airbending from the get go, he's so childish that it seems like that doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. So I, I I think that's part of this the excellence of the show from the beginning is that it's uh, it's not wasting your time. Everything is mm-hmm. you know gets set up and pays off. Mm-hmm. Some setups pay off immediately, and others won't pay off for a while. But everything seems relevant while again not feeling rushed despite how much information is being conveyed in that short time all right hey it's just jack this time uh if this episode if this podcast is released on wednesday july 1st i will be streaming on the fangamer twitch channel july 2nd thursday tomorrow at one o'clock 1 p.m pacific time I'll be doing some um, showing off some of the software packages I work with, and I'll be doing some live 3D modeling and messing around in Unity, uh, thinking maybe make a VR chat world together, or maybe just mess around and make a little game or something. But uh, yeah, if you're listening to this on release day, join me tomorrow. I'd appreciate it. Thanks. Bye. I, I do feel some things were quite a bit rushed. In one episode, uh, going back to uh, going back to Sokka, I got a lot of feelings about this guy. Um, <laughs> and, and there's one episode he, in the first three minutes, he gets his ass. Oh, geez, sorry. He gets his butt kicked by um, some girls, and and then two minutes later, he goes to their dojo, and he's like. You guys got lucky. I'm going to teach you how to really fight because I'm a dude. And then within those 20 minutes, he goes from complete just, yeah, just huge massage, just overflowing with misogyny. And just by the end of the episode, he's wearing their dress combat gear, wearing makeup, and they're training, they're teaching him how to fight. So I think that, you know, some great character development there just in 20 minutes, it just feels like whiplash to me. I would say that, yeah, he definitely goes from one direction to another. Uh, it seemed like it's happening pretty fast, but also he hasn't had his misogyny cured by any stretch by the end of that mm-hmm. episode. <laughs> like, he was being for- kind of forced into that position to kind of uh, embarrass him, more or less. And he accepted it, 
because he has a genuine interest in learning how to fight better. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he makes a little bit of progress in that regard, though not, not a whole lot, but enough. I would say it's a start, but, it, and if it, like, if at the end he was never such a misogynist <laughs> again afterwards, <laughs> then I'd be like, yeah, for sure. That was too fast. Absolutely. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. So, so you view it more as like just moving the needle? Not yeah. a complete character change. Okay. Yeah. No, that's a good defense. Something that Carolyn and I talked about in regards to like the the format of the show and it being like a kid's cartoon is that I could see how an episode like this presents maybe like problematic behavior within a character. And then we see like how the character kind of works through that. And maybe the that transition is too expedited, right? I feel like speaks to how... I guess like (laughs) the show sometimes will try to wrap things up um, really cleanly too quickly or almost like try to make every episode be like a teaching moment in some ways. And I don't know, teaching moments, I I feel like happen when someone is like humbled and then like maybe that perspective or that humbling is a process that opens like more a deeper understanding within themselves for things. But it could be (laughs) almost maybe not as believable. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of a strength and a weakness of like kids shows like this, where it, I guess, again, it, it's very clear that um, they have a much bigger picture for the whole show. Just they do need to make it digestible for that demograph. And I think, yeah, like you said, having these learning moments that neatly fit into a 20 minute package is ideal for children. You know, like a kid can't, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know any really, I don't know any kids under like the age of 12 who watch Game of Thrones or anything, but like, that's a really, that's a really long series with a lot of character development that sometimes takes seasons to happen. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I think, yeah, I think sort of my, uh, my gripe with that is I think can just be rooted in the fact that it needs to be for kids and like, mm-hmm. otherwise it needs to be that fast. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's my counter to your argument before Jack was definitely taking into account like the the grander story arc or the character arc of Sokka. Whereas, yeah, within that episode, it does feel rushed because at the end they are trying to give a lesson, not necessarily to Sokka. Sokka didn't necessarily internalize that message completely, but Mm -hmm. they, they do need to show it to the audience and say, hey, also, this is a lesson that we're teaching you people who are watching. And so yeah. please digest this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess when I think about it, this is a gripe of mine that I had never really thought about before in terms of soccer. Because I was thinking about it. So this is the first time soccer is being challenged by a girl who isn't his sister. Because, I mean, we've, we've mm-hmm. seen um, yeah. Kodera and Sokka go at it about his misogynistic behavior, right? But so now mm-hmm. the first time... He's being challenged and he's digesting this message. It is coming from a girl he's attracted to, that being Suki. And the more I think about it, that makes me mad. (laughs) (laughs) And I really have never put this into a perspective until right now. But like in other scenarios, when I've heard men all of a sudden are a feminist because they're now dating a feminist. Yeah, I know. That's fine. While I do, I do really enjoy Sokka's arc that I'm now irritated by that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think part of the redeeming parts of Sokka is the fact that he has, he thinks he has an idea of what it means to be a man, as I was saying before. But like, as it goes on, like he is never going to be, 
he he's never going to be this great warrior that, that he imagines himself to be even as as he goes on because he is again he's not a bender and while they definitely show a lot of very talented and skilled um uh, non-bending fighters in the show Sokka is not really getting there mm-hmm. he ends up proving himself to be mature and and effective in completely different ways ways that mm-hmm. don't have to do with how well he swings his weird sword thing with the ball at the end or uh, how well he uses his boomerang <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like he, he's he's about uh, yeah. he, he's you know he's he's a tactician. He stands in the middle. He knows what everybody else is capable of doing. He puts a plan together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's clever, and that is not a tra- I mean, I guess in, it's it's a different sort of traditional manliness, I guess, because yeah, there's definitely the the whole without getting too far into uh, into gender discussions here the intellectual man is a is a whole nother thing but anyway <laughs> it's 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 yeah. enough in this case i think that he's not that that we know that he is never going to be a big muscly warrior that beats people into submission yeah. yeah yeah i think it's i think it's a good testament to sort of the writing of the show where again on the surface level it comes across as a kid show but when you think about it this macho masculinity and misogyny usually comes from like insecurities and i feel like that's kind of what Sokka like suffers from is a lot is just sort of this inferiority complex. He's surrounded by people who can use magic. He can't. He's surrounded by capable warriors. He's not. So he's just constantly trying to find where he fits in the world. And um, yeah, it just as the more you watch the show, you realize that that is a that is a static thing in this world in this writing and his character. It's not just sort of he's not just dumb and ignorant because it's funny. It's because of like these deep rooted issues which he works through eventually. Yeah, and I. To speak on what traditional manliness might play into his character, um, I think back to how he lives in a environment that values a lot of like family tradition or just like like societal traditions as well um, with how everything is set up. Like his dad leaves him, kind of leaves him to like fulfill his shoes of like, okay, I'm leaving you to protect the village and your sister. And I think that role is very laid out to him or like maybe he's seen how that plays out by like, you know, kind of referencing his dad or like the other men in the um, village. But when he goes on this adventure uh, with Aang and Katara, it kind of opens up to him how women exist in other types of situations as well, and really challenges that. Mm-hmm. And Obol like just opens his mind as well. Sure. Yeah, yeah. You want to start another podcast? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I feel like we just have too much to say. Yeah, yeah I, like that's so like this is this is the thing that I was thinking whenever I, I came into this one. And like one of the last questions I have in my notes is, all right, how much do we feel like this 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 episode worked out? Did we get everything out that we want to say, or <laughs> are we going to need to break this up further? And I'm already getting the impression as we're like uh, halfway, a little over yeah, halfway yeah, through. Yeah, I'm saying that because I, I just looked at my recording and it's like, holy cow, that much time has gone by already. Yeah, there's a lot to say. Because we've really only talked mostly about Sokka. Yeah, <laughs> Sokka in the first episode. Which tells you how deep these characters are, I think. Because even when we were talking about, you know, Sokka's insecurities, I think that directly comes up also when he meets Jet. And mm. that whole Jet episode is yeah. sort of That's that concept. Episode. 
yeah, that conflict of following your instincts and your intellect and values. And what's interesting is Jeff's not a vendor either, um, mm-hmm. but he's a leader. And that's what Sokka wants to be, is a leader. For sure. Yeah, that's a good point. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steer us away from Sokka for a bit. And I want to say, <laughs> I want to say that one of the coolest things about the early episodes, pretty much that whole season, is just how genuinely threatening Zuko is. Like mm-hmm. he he is not an ineffective constant antagonist like Team Rocket like blasting off again every episode. He's <laughs> yeah. tenacious and clever, and he shows that right from the beginning. Uh, he catches the gang off guard repeatedly, and they only stay ahead of him by working together, uh, sometimes by the skin of their teeth, and constantly staying on the run. And as a result, like, they have to focus on not just, like, their adventures, but some episodes are all about, like, all right, we're tired, we're hungry, we need to find a place to rest. Case in point, to go back to this, this the fourth episode, uh, where the gang is defeated by the Kyoshi Warriors, who quickly and rightly establish themselves as badasses. And then, despite being shown how badass these people are, Zuko comes along and defeats them, uh, more or less by himself, uh, showing just how dangerous it is to face Zuko directly. Like, he is, he's a real threat, and he's he really throws a wrench into the cartoonishness of the show, in, in, in a good way, I would say. Yeah, no, I, I favored all of his scenes, for sure. But also, what's really impressive about Zuko is that he doesn't, like again a villain he doesn't have this army behind him that he like, no. hides behind yeah like, laughs at no like he's on the front lines he's doing everything not only is he doing everything but it feels like the whole world is out to get him uh-huh. and he's still managing to uh to yeah just be a thorn in their sides the whole way and like another thing about zuko we can start the zuko part of this podcast now uh yeah <laughs> like while, while we definitely don't want him to succeed at catching ang i do yeah <laughs> fair enough but like like in the third episode we already find ourselves rooting for him against uh Zhao. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah like e- immediately it's like all right here's this guy who's been the villain for the first two episodes and oh here's a person that we also don't like and man zuko really stands out as kind of the good guy in this situation what is going on like why is this so complicated all of a sudden <laughs> And I think that comes from, at that point, Zhao does have the army at his back, right? And in the third episode, we may not know exactly why Zuko wants to catch the Avatar, but we know immediately that he has more on the line in this sort of hunt than Mm -hmm. Zhao seems to. And then, you know, it comes out later that he actually has everything on the line and he's willing to risk everything to be the one to capture him over Zhao. So I actually think the Zhao-Zuko dynamic is adds so much to the first season. For yeah, sure. for sure. It's very David and Goliath. Like, uh, Zuko's very scrappy. And, and it shows just how, like, fractured the Fire Nation is despite being the looming darkness surrounding the rest of the world. It's it's complicated. It's not as simple as, oh, those are the bad guys and these are the good guys, etc. There's seemingly good people on on the Fire Nation side, even if, like, the people that we're kind of rooting for over there are also definitely villains. Like, because we don't see a lot of, you know, we haven't seen yet at this uh, this point, like, uh, just a Fire Nation village, you know? Uh, We eventually do see in the Jet episode some old man and how even Sokka, who who at that point had exhibited on multiple occasions just uh, an intense hatred for people from the Fire Nation, even he's, like... Uh, whenever the the uh, whenever Jet's folks start trying to just beat up on this old man, he's like, "No, wait, this is wrong." 
And meanwhile, mm-hmm. we definitely see, uh, especially in the Jet episode, but in other cases as well, just some people from the uh, the Earth Kingdom who are just not not great people. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. It's, it's complicated from the get go. Yeah, and that's very rare for a kids show like that is to have not just simply divide things into black and white, like good and evil. So having that uh, that area of grayness to everything is a uh, yeah, it's very appreciated. Very rare. And one of the main themes, I think, though, is that yin and yang sort of good and evil dynamic that is clearly more complicated. And you see it, I think you see that imagery in a lot of areas. But one of the, one of my favorite areas is just the mirroring and like the dynamics between Aang and Zuko. I think particularly in that episode, The Storm, where you learn about their past mm-hmm. and it's told simultaneously and that will create this pattern of Zuko and Aang being mirrored and their journeys being intertwined in the same way that you come and you see like literally the yin and yang symbol with the koi fish. Yeah, the yin and yang and just how they don't classify yin and yang as good and evil. It's push and pull, which Really, yeah. it's just, or it's not good and evil. It's just, they're just opposing forces of nature, really. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. There's like this interesting mirroring in the mirroring of these two characters. I see very specifically what destiny is to them and how they like engage with that because it, it seems like from the get-go, the two of them are kind of on a predetermined path that has been like, imposed on them based on circumstance right so we have ang who is laid out as like the avatar and like kind of destined to save the world as in like he is the only one that can and then zuko kind of being banished from his family i think i think he's had his like destiny spelled out and at this point in the first season that's all that motivates him so i i like seeing how the show will intercut between the two of them kind of like reflecting on their past in regards to like their where their like motivations are currently but then also resisting that if that makes sense you see a lot of moments of like resisting against this or at least like being kind of morally they don't know how to center themselves within this narrative mm-hmm. and, I, and that, that's where especially on zuko's side where iroh comes into play so often is mm-hmm. zuko just really accepts this path that destiny is laid out for him and Iroh was almost constantly telling him that you know that that really doesn't have to be the way it is like you can do you can do something else with your life and it's okay <laughs> and he's constantly trying to convince he, he through his actions he's trying to exhibit that to, to Zuko without telling him that outright because he knows that Zuko isn't ready to hear that mm. yeah that's a definitely a good point. I think one of my favorite things is watching Zuko question things and watching Zuko, like, he has such a firm stance, but there are so many times where that is challenged for, like, mm-hmm. one example is when he chooses not to follow the Avatar to go find Iroh because he was, like, taking a nap or something like that, and he's lost Iroh, and he has to choose Iroh over possibly following this trail. And then there's one other point where it's the the Blue Spirit episode where he goes and he steals Aang back from Zhao. And this is a point where the whole relationship between Aang and Zuko is questioned when 
Aang has like saved him and sat him down and is like waiting in the swamp and Zuko wakes up and he's like Aang's talking about how he once had a friend in the Fire Nation and he asks Zuko if he thinks they could ever be friends and then Zuko chooses to shoot a fireball at him but then like there's just a little moment where Zuko like raises an eyebrow like you can see him questioning this whole nature between that's the first time he ever sees Aang as a person I think yeah yeah there's a lot to be said about the blue spirit. Yeah, there's a lot to be said. Yeah. Uh, can, can I share a little bit of a revelation I had, like hearing everyone talk about this, or at least the blue spirit specifically? Mm-hmm. Um, and Charlie, you'll be able to fill me fill in the blanks on my memory here, but there's a game series called Lunar. Uh-huh. You know what I'm talking about, right? There's there's a character that starts off as this oh, antagonistic yeah, sure. <laughs> mili- mil- military high-ranking officer. And... Uh, I guess spoilers. The game's like what thirty years old. Uh, yeah, he, <laughs> it's okay to okay. spoil Lunar too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, uh, later on in the game, you get saved by this masked hero, and it turns out it's this guy who was your rival like for a long time. And I just totally see uh, Zuko, the the blue spirit, is sort of being this way for that when you know it's very poetic, which a lot of the stories, uh, a lot of the show's themes are. Only when Zuko is wearing a mask can he really be his true self. I kind of feel like the Blue Spirit is a very good way for him to sort of explore those feelings and, um, yeah, kind of figure out who he really wants to be. There's this interesting trope out there called orange and blue morality hmm. to contrast with black and white morality, where there's the good and evil. On the other side, there's orange and blue, which is not neither is necessarily good or evil they're just opposing and i i feel like that has to have been one of the the things that uh, that inspired the blue spirit because he's blue yeah (laughs) and and is orange (laughs) and like (laughs) they had to have known but uh, there's another uh, episode that also really plays into that which is the the winter solstice part one where Aang gets into the spirit world for the first time, and there's there's that town that's being attacked by this big spirit, and they don't know what's going on, and then they eventually figure out that it's the spirit of the forest that got destroyed, and it's just angry at the people who did it. And the village isn't necessarily evil, neither is the Mm -hmm. spirit, they're just opposing forces, and then it's, you know, Aang eventually is able to kind of bridge Mm -hmm. that gap which is his role, and it's just so fascinating just generally the role that that sort of morality is playing in this show uh, in so many different mm. ways. Mm-hmm. Speaking about playing as the gap, uh, one of my uh, favorite episodes was the uh, the one where they're going through the Grand Canyon. Oh, yeah, <laughs> the Great Divide? Yeah, the Great Divide. It's one of my favorites because it subverted some of my expectations. The tour guide, I thought he was like a scammer. I thought like the fact that he created a path, it's like, wait a minute, you're a tour guide. Shouldn't you like know a path? Why are you taking people down these collapsed like roads? Um, But then he just gets both his arms broken. (laughs) And it's like, oh, never mind. He's he's not the villain. Okay. And then also I liked how, again, sort of one of the things I didn't like about the show was it felt like it was kind of like your childhood friend that's really nice and fun to be around. But then when the cool kids from school are nearby, their, their voice deepens and they kind of <laughs> slack their shoulders a little bit. Avatar kind of felt like it was a, a show that was trying to be on Toonami. It just felt like it was faking sometimes, like with some of its um, uh, style to me. But then that episode was the first time where the two clans are kind of showing, telling their different backstories and they're in completely different art styles. 
one is this very refined, very beautiful style. And the other one kind of reminds me something kind of out like Samurai Shampoo sometimes where like some of the characters, I forget the main character or one of the characters named kind of the rogue and everything, how he, his moves are very just exaggerated and uh, abstract and stuff like that. I thought that was a very, um, there was a very fun thing to do for that show or that episode. Yeah. That's always one of the episodes that I like skip over. <laughs> um, I don't know if I'd go back to it, but it was um, it was an impressionable one, I would say. Yeah, I think I think I skip over it just because I'm like at that point it's in between so many like important episodes to me that mm-hmm. it totally diverts from just everything that is going on. Um, <laughs> it's the closest thing that the show has to a filler episode. Yeah. It's like such a filler episode, in my opinion, that I'm like, not that it's like bad in and of itself as an episode. I just, I don't even remember. As a person who has rewatched the show quite often, I don't remember the last time I watched that episode. Mm, okay. I think I could see where, like, if I was waiting anxiously for the next Sunday or whenever the new episode came out, that mm-hmm. if that episode came up, yes, I'd be very disappointed. But as far as, <laughs> bin- as, far as binging goes, it kind of felt like just a breath of fresh air, like from just uh, the pace. That makes sense. Yeah, it's definitely like a, a, a quick breather in between some some very heavy episodes. Um, mm-hmm. Like, because I mean, it comes right after the the jet episode, which is super heavy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then it happens right before the storm, which is also super heavy. The storm is uh, so heavy. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, it definitely fits the definition of filler because there's just nothing important <laughs> in particular is learned the only thing that it that it really does is kind of reinforce uh what they've shown a few times already in the in the show just the stream of refugees that are heading for bossing say this mysterious city called bossing say which is at this point has still no, not been seen <laughs> i have something to say in regard to bossing say and this will kind of go back to the episode of the spirit world is the information throughout the series but in season one about iroh because right you hear a few things happen in that episode with Iroh where he's been captured by those Earth Kingdom right. soldiers. And mm-hmm. this is the first time you hear about his legendary defeat at Bossing Bay. Um, mm-hmm. And he also, you find out that he can see the spirit world. Aang yes. um, is like on Roku's dragon and he flies over and Iroh sees that. And then, of course, later, as when you're at the siege of the North Pole, Zhao, you hear, well, I've heard rumors about you going into the spirit world. And so I think that's one of the reasons Iroh is my one of my favorite characters is because throughout so much of it, you just have questions surrounding Iroh. You have no answers. Like, you don't even know what Bossing Say is for a pretty long time until... Mm-hmm. But you hear about these like rumors around Iroh and he seems like this silly old man, but he clearly has like such a complicated history. Yeah. And that's a great also example of how the show does kind of, sometimes it feels like it considers its audience very simple and being like, we need to spell this out for you. But then other times it does leave like little subtle foreshadowing, stuff like that could be very easily missed from like a you know a younger audience but like or having watched it only once and then going back and watching it and realizing these little subtle hints like um when the, during the storm episode they talk about you know how Zuko got his scar and Iroh talks about how he couldn't watch but yet yeah. there's this character sitting in front of Iroh who seems to really be enjoying it yeah and <laughs> yeah 
that um yeah that there's a reason for that so it's for sure just, it's, yeah so I, I like that is i love that so yeah, yeah uh, that particular character you, you don't even i don't think we even get her name in this season I don't know. I know that, okay, like I said, I'm hooked on the show. Uh, mm-hmm. I actually started watching season two and didn't realize it. <laughs> oh, started, yeah. <laughs> I'm halfway through, through oh. the first episode of season two, and I was like, I had to pause it for some reason. And then when I went to go resume it, I saw the little Netflix thing said like S2E1. And I'm like, oh, whoops. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I won't say anything further other than she is one of my favorite characters, definitely my favorite <laughs> villain. Of all time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think the other one that I can consider a bit of a uh, a filler episode would be The Fortune Teller, mm. uh, which I think it has a lot going for it despite the fact that it's filler, because, again, it doesn't really move the plot forward very much, although simply by virtue of this being a fortune teller who is giving these predictions about the future, as somebody who knows the future because I've watched it already, the things that she says are very, very interesting to me. Oh. Because... That, that was a that was a question I had. Can she actually tell the future? <laughs> okay. Anyway. Well, 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 well okay. Well, well, I guess we'll revisit that. <laughs> I think an interesting discussion about the theme of destiny, though. Um, yeah. And For sure. I think a theme that is revisited throughout is destiny put upon you or as she says do you make your own destiny Mm -hmm. that's fair it's definitely a filler episode it's a filler episode that i that i enjoy but i think it does play to a very important theme i agree Mm -hmm. and also it gives it's it's a very soccer centric episode where this this poor guy (laughs) This poor guy, oh, he is yeah. he is so correct. He is so correct, and he suffers for it. Yeah, although that is the episode where I realized that Sokka is the most powerful character in the show and that he's a reality bender. <laughs> anyone, anyone he doubts is able to overcome. Anyone he has faith in fails. At one point in the show, he literally controls the weather by saying, I can tell the future too. It's going to keep raining. And it stops. <laughs> like... Yeah. yeah, it's it's scary stuff. <laughs> He's too powerful. <laughs> Somebody just, stop I, him. Yeah, I just I don't know if later in the show maybe he like realizes that he's the like the final villain or something. I don't know. Reality bender. <laughs> he's got like contortionist logic. Yeah, exactly. Like the universe bends to his reverse psychology. It's wild. <laughs> Let's see, what are some other really good episodes? The deserter's pretty good. Whenever Aang gets to Learn, uh, do a little bit of firebending, but he's so clearly not ready for it. And, mm-hmm. uh, but it establishes a bunch. Of, I mean, there's, I have, uh, I, so I, every time I was watching an episode, anytime something important got established, I wrote it down. Or if not something established, something I'd notice in the background, like whenever they're going into the, the city in, in the, the deserter episode, and there's like this, uh, this board with a bunch of, wa- a bunch of wanted posters. Mm-hmm. And so they, oh. they're like, oh, you don't want to go in there. There's there's Ang's face, and they, so they know what you look like. But the other wanted posters are also yeah. very interesting. Yeah, I actually I, I actually rewinded I actually rewinded the show and paused it so I could get a good look at the wanted board uh-huh. because I thought I recognized Jet as uh, the lower left one. Mm. And I'm like, well, if Jet's one, maybe that guy up there is one. So I like stop to take a good look at him. Yeah, and, at, the, and the blue spirits the sh- on there as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, just at that point, the show had kind of proven itself that it 
it was um, capable of doing that sort of subtle planting. So I was actually like actively looking for stuff like that. It was really fun. Oh, can I just talk about another thing that bugged me? There's an episode where it ends. I think it's the one with the uh, with the woman warrior clan, uh, where the the village ends where it's on fire from the Fire Nation or Zuko or someone. You know, there's like maybe six houses that are burning. Aang goes out of his way to tame this water serpent to put out the fires before they leave, and it even ends with an old man going, like, "God bless you, Avatar," and then. And again, maybe this is just an this is sort of just a, an effect that I get as a binge watcher. The very next episode begins with them riding a minecart through a city, destroying people's homes, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and laughing about it. Oh yeah, Omasu. They literally focus on someone working on a vase. Yeah, yeah. And slow mo, <laughs> yeah. just watch it. His light, like the work that could have taken a year. I don't know. Get just get destroyed. <laughs> And then they land on their backs and laugh. And it's just, it just seems so tone deaf to me. But again, maybe that's just because I'm watching them so back to back to back to back. But that's also one of my favorite montages is when they're just smashing. <laughs> and there's like a bunch of the, there's a bunch of the soldiers. And he's like, you have to be prepared for anything. And then they like freeze frame on them and then keep going. It is good, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean that that episode also in, introduces the the cabbage merchant, who uh-huh. uh, yes. is very important. Uh-huh. <laughs> As we'll continue to see. I think he's related to Sokka in some way. <laughs> <laughs> they share an ancestor. <laughs> yeah, they just attract uh, misfortune. Something mm-hmm. about them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and also the uh, what's his is it, what's his name Bingo? I don't know the the guy who runs the city. Boomy. Oh. Yeah, Boomy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, a, kind of a trope, but a, a, a trope I enjoy. The very much like Yoda, <laughs> kind of like, are they insane or are they incredibly smart? I don't know. So we'll never, we'll never know. We'll never know. I like about that moment where Boomy sees him for the first time, though, and I think it's lost just in the humor of the situation. But how weird would it be to be like, wait, this is my friend from when I was literally. 12 years old and he looks exactly the same yeah um when i think about that not when i immediately watch it but like when i think about it in hindsight i like get weirdly emotional i'm like oh my gosh yeah yeah and that totally fits boomy too to where he wouldn't even bat an eye about it <laughs> it's like yeah 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 must just use moisturizer or something yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> all right so I, before we we end i do think we need to go into the the finale the, the two episode Ooh, finale yeah. which is, uh, that could be a podcast by itself <laughs> yeah probably <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah i mean there's so much going on that's all coming to a head at that point like all right ang has started to uh, to actually learn waterbending effectively and there's this huge navy coming uh coming that's been foreshadowed a bit from before because Zhao got his admiralty and got the the go-ahead to just go ahead and uh, attack the, uh, the the northern water tribe this place that seemed so so intact and safe whenever Aang and the the rest of the gang got uh, first got there and then immediately whenever the attack begins like they're just destroying these big beautiful walls that were protecting the place and mm-hmm. Aang who was proven himself at this point to be able to handle himself pretty well although he it's it's very rare especially up to that point for him to ever actually face anything head on uh but then he does he does he goes out there he fights this 
this big navy like fights people on the ship and starts sinking them one after another and he realizes he just can't do it by himself like it's just too much mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and yeah it just kicks off the, the 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 fact that all right the avatar is not the answer by itself and all right what else are we going to do here which is so much of what this series has got to figure out to begin with because this impression that the avatar is the answer to everybody's prayers is clearly not necessarily true and there's so much cool stuff that happens in these episodes. Like, all right, so he realizes he can't do it himself. He needs to get to, to go and find the, the moon and the ocean spirits and ask for their help because waterbenders are only really effective or are, are, are more effective at night under the moon. And so he really gets to go and have this adventure in the spirit world, which is one of the coolest things that probably... I, mean, I don't know if it's the coolest thing that's happened in this in the show so far, but it's certainly it's really up one there. of the scariest. <laughs> yeah, Co mm-hmm. the face stealer could just be you know Co the episode stealer. Like he steals the entire episode <laughs> by being there. That's also a moment where we hear about other avatars. That's uh, maybe the well, yeah. no, I guess we heard about Kiyoshi and Roku, but you also hear about like having more avatars, having more adversaries in the spirit world, right? Like he Co the face of a woman he loved and I just think that moment is so incredibly eerie and mm-hmm. creepy so I don't know yeah yeah I love no, it. yeah no like finishing the first season like I gotta say um like I really wish this story was told in the same manner of like the King Killer Chronicles or Game of Thrones are gonna bring that back up again just sort of like there's it feels like it has the same sort of material and caliber of these other stories just it feels weird just in this packaging. <laughs> so I think that kind of sums up my feeling of the show pretty much. Well, I mean, I mean, something like co-existing is, it can exist in this way, or I, I think it probably comes about because of the limitations of this being a children's show. Because, like, it's, it's a show that can never reference death directly. Um, yeah. It can't be bloody or violent or anything uh, to to that degree so uh, it's impressive how much like war there is (laughs) yeah yeah like there's all this fighting and yet there's almost there's never blood because these people are using these these bending techniques it's like earth and fire and water flying all over the place so like it's it's stuff that's not gonna slash people and, and kill them like even jet you know he has these these weapons that despite how i think he'd be perfectly willing to just like stab somebody if, if it came down to it like he has he's basically fighting with a couple of crowbars uh, that just yeah. grabs things <laughs> and beats them up yeah all these subtle ways yeah and fire which could honestly be one of the most like horrifying like things to fight with uh is kind of just used as sort of like those you know like those old uh what is it like gi joe or x-men cartoons where all the enemies just inexplicably had laser guns because it's like pew 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 it, it doesn't they don't do anything it's like <laughs> fire could be one of the most violent and like uh dangerous things to use in combat but it's effectively just kind of flashy little bursts of light that like, don't hurt anyone or not, not, doesn't like, hurt I mean, anybody on camera anyway it doesn't hurt anyone on camera like it still feels substantial but they are able to have these action sets without actually like you said hurting or killing anyone they do directly reference death though like we see oh who is uh Aang's... oh yeah uh gatso yeah yeah yeah, yeah we see mm. gatso. 
skeleton, we see we see Zhao be pulled underwater and never seen again. Effectively, <laughs> yeah. effectively choose to kill himself rather than follow Zuko. Yeah. <laughs> but I yes, we don't see any gore, but I mean we're like directly seeing the effects of genocide. For oh, sure, yeah. <laughs> it, it, but it, it's gotta it's gotta be implied a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you can see a skeleton, but uh, uh, but you don't yeah. see Gatso get killed. That was another thing I found interesting. That all the all the Earth, all of the fire soldiers, all their bones were just kind of scattered. Whereas um, the monk's skeleton was sort of in a meditative pose, sort of ins- insinuating that he didn't die violently. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, interesting. To, to speak to the point I was making, though, is the fact that something like Ko exists to be, it, it manages to be terrifying without being violent in the way that would get him not allowed on a kid's show. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think this, the most scary, I think maybe the most terrifying thing for me about Ko is that it feels very internal, like the spirit world feels internal. The same way I think. I've always been afraid of the concept of like hell. When I like learned about it when I was young, it was like <laughs> the idea it would be forever, like forever suffering, you know, forever your identity's been stolen. Yeah. As monster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, things that you don't, that on the surface doesn't really sound too bad, but then the, the show does do a very good job of putting in the context of, uh, also, speaking of hell, it's sort of like that whole thing. Like, I think there's a story about someone who's like saving their loved one or something from hell. And the whole thing was like, you can't turn back because if you do. Oh, yeah. Eurydice and Orpheus. Yeah. Yeah. I remember growing up, my parents had an audio tape that I would, uh, I, my, my brother and I would listen to. And I think they had like Arabian Nights. And it was a very similar story where two brothers were trying to climb a mountain. And they were told, if you start climbing the mountain, you can't look back or else you're going to turn to stone. And yeah. uh, that was always just sort of a thing that that story always like really scared me. And Ko just sort of really, really hits that vibe of like needing to confront yourself with this sort of ex- existential creature, this thing that's so much bigger and older than you. And you you can't show any expression. It's just sort of like knowing that light, like that your safety is on this razor thin line is just, uh, I don't know, it's very interesting. I think very good part of the show. And just the whole atmosphere of Poe's like den and the like body of Ko being like this weird centipede. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. It changes faces like blinking. Yeah. yeah. The faces kind of feel more like an organ than an actual face it's it's interesting mm, that's a good way of putting it and that mm. he tries to use the faces as to get ang to make an expression right like when he tries to use the face of his dead lover which is very upsetting but yeah. or like on the turn of a hat turns into that weird monkey thing like you're just trying to go for a jump scare yeah yeah <laughs> Which again is kind of a weird thing that like this really terrifying concept was prefaced by a faceless monkey to kind of like let you know like oh you're near its lair. But yeah, like, yeah. looking back on it, the faceless monkey just seems kind of goofy. Like that is not scary at all compared to what this creature actually is. But so. imagine walking up and seeing a face like mm-hmm. I oh, don't yeah, know yeah. that stepped up the tone. Yeah. I guess it made me kind of laugh a little bit when I first saw it. Like, oh, that that's goofy. But yeah, in the context of a cartoon, maybe. But like when you're younger and like cartoons hold a lot more, like your imagination kind of fills in the gaps and you can it feels a lot more real. 
yeah, I can see that being like pretty messed up. All right. Well, we're we're about out of time, so I've got to no. uh, we've got to kind of wrap up our our thoughts here. I feel like mm. gosh, I, like so. All right. There's a lot to talk about, and I feel like we've. I I don't really want to come back to book one and try to re, re you know try try to make a second episode out of it because we bounced around a good mm-hmm. bit. So how how do y'all recommend we we handle? The future episode like should we maybe just break book two into two halves because it does split evenly it's 10 episodes mm. you know, yeah. t- 10 episodes for the first half 10 episodes for the second and the the show usually does a does a pretty good job of like this the midpoint being a midpoint like it's recognizable yeah. as being like all right here's this here's this middle peak and then we're gonna start rising to the second peak afterwards there's yeah. a Grand Canyon episode where you have like this American prospector in this world where he totally did not fit in. Yeah. Well, I mean that's the, that's the thing though. That was episode eleven. Uh, episode ten was was very impactful. So like uh, the Great Divide was the first episode of the second half, which is mm-hmm. all right, fine. We're starting. We're basically Slow. starting another season over again. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So it felt pretty natural. But I, I don't know how how do you guys feel about maybe coming back in two weeks. To talk about the second, uh, sorry, the first half of book two. Yeah, yeah. Give it a shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see how that one feels. I do feel like because I feel like there's just so much that's been left unsaid here. Yeah, I just wanted to keep hearing more of your thoughts. Just I have so many feelings, but it's just so fresh for me. So like I just like there's like there's something else that I want to talk about, but I don't think we have time. So it's like. Ugh. it it is really i think it's going to be a thing in season two so i can talk about it next time sounds good yeah there's there's so many things that are going to carry over so it's fine it's fine it's fine (laughs) (laughs) all right folks so i think that's that's going to do it for avatar book one and we're going to be moving on to book two earth in two weeks So listeners, if you have thoughts about Avatar you'd like to share, or if you've got thoughts about one of our other upcoming episode topics, please email them to your friends at fangamer.com. You can also send us voicemails either by using the Anchor app on your phone or by emailing us your audio file. Next week, we'll be talking about the Final Fantasy VII remake, and then after that, we'll be continuing our EXP share of Avatar The Last Airbender. Uh, you're also welcome to send us questions about pretty much anything. We're all experts on the subject of Fangamer, but in addition to that, I'm an expert at uh, sticking to no more than three streaming service subscriptions at a time. Uh, what are some of your areas of expertise outside of Fangamer? I'll start with Jack because he, he gets this question a lot, uh, so he really should have uh, prepared. <laughs> yeah, I should have. Uh, uh, talking about Saska. Saka. Saka. Uh, Sarah. I'm really good at crafting. I have seen Sarah, like, transform rooms into things that you would not recognize. Yeah. <laughs> you saw the difference between the two. My expertise outside Fangamer, since I don't work at Fangamer. <laughs> um, this relates directly to Avatar. I've been uh, teaching myself how to animate for some time. I'm, I'm working very diligently at anatomy drawing. Uh, and drawing people in motion. So actually studying Avatar and how they, they choreograph and animate fight scenes is particularly interesting to me. So mm-hmm. I will 
leave it at that. <laughs> All right, and that, that that pretty much does it for us this week. Uh, I would I would usually ask for final thoughts at this point, but I do have to run to go pick up my child from daycare. I cannot put this off any further. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> thank you very much, Jack and Sarah and Carolyn for uh, for joining me this week. Listeners, if you would like to support this podcast, please consider buying something from the Fan Gamer Store. Alternately, just share us with your friends, tweet about us, or even tweet at us. Thank you, Super Soul Brothers, for the music on this episode, and thank you, listener, for listening. We're your friends at Fan Gamer. Try to make someone smile today, and let's plan on hanging out again next week. <laughs>